Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations. And if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. Be on the lookout as well for my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, which is being published in September of 2020. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Dr. Steve Taubman is an internationally known speaker and best-selling author whose most recent book, Bulletproof, helps readers learn how to navigate their life if they were, in fact, bulletproof. Steve focuses on practical mindfulness for peak performance, leadership, and mental resilience. Hello, Steve. Ed, what a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today. I know I just gave folks a quick little bio of yourself, but I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your background and history and how you're doing what you're doing today. Sure. Well, thanks. Uh, You know, I started out in the area of holistic health. I was a chiropractor and sports medicine doctor for many years. I had the largest sports medicine practice in Vermont, one of the largest in the U.S., and uh, treated a lot of athletes, elite athletes, amateur athletes, et cetera. Started getting really interested in mindset and how our minds work, you know, what we believe about ourselves and how that shows up in our results. That's all really helpful for athletes, as you can imagine. Great athletes are separated from the good ones basically by their mindset as opposed to just their skill set or their talent as athletes. So that piqued my curiosity. I started learning a little bit about hypnosis. And as a personal joy, I started practicing magic, doing uh, magic tricks for fun. I People asked me why I did that. And that was mostly because I had just gotten out of a relationship and I needed something to do with my hands. <laughs> so I ended up developing a new set of skills and simultaneously started tiring of private practice. I liked treating patients, but I didn't like everything that went into being inside of the same four walls all day long, dealing with with my small but mighty staff and the insurance companies and all that. So I ended up back in 96 deciding to sell my chiropractic practice and to kind of jump into the void. I didn't really know what my life was going to look like at that point, but I I made the leap. I left my practice uh, without a really clear sense of where I was going took a year off, traveled all over the place, uh, spent a few months in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, came back and uh, took my plane. I was a private pilot, went flying all over the U.S. doing, um, you know, sort of exploratory stuff, meeting new people, having a vision quest, deciding what my life was going to look like. And then that landed me in, in the work that I do now, which is both hypnosis as a stagecraft for fun, but more as a way of demonstrating the interesting quirks of the human mind and how what we think and believe influences what we accomplish. Wow, what a fascinating story, Steve. And I'm intrigued by the fact that somebody who spent the earlier stage of their life focused on chiropractor work, which sounds Mm -hmm. very physical, Mm -hmm. transitioned to more mental and psychological state perspectives. And did you see a connection between the two when you were doing chiropractic work? A little bit because, you know, I I had studied some of the elements of hypnosis that are specifically for peak performance. You know, if you're working with athletes, that kind of stuff is useful. Visualization, state control, enhanced focus, things of that sort. So I had some insight into that. But I think more so now, you know, as I think back now over the trajectory of my work and my life, I'd say that what I do now is essentially mental chiropractic. Right, right. (laughs) 
As chiropractors, what we know is that the extent of your health is determined by the extent of your body's ability to communicate with itself. It's a holistic principle. You know, it's ever since the first amoeba turned into two cells, the most important thing became how do these two cells talk to each other? And then when we became more and more complex systems, we had more complex ways of communicating with all the different parts. And in chiropractic, a big part of what we're doing is not just relieving pain, but removing interference to the nervous system so that those communication pathways can open back up again. So that's that's the chiropractic side of it. And now that you look at from a hypnosis standpoint, what is it that you're saying to yourself that you don't realize you're saying to yourself? What are the you know, what are the patterns, the beliefs, the habits, the attitudes that influence what you can do and how successful you become? And so in the same way as I would remove physical interference as a chiropractor, now I'm busy removing mental interference as a hypnotist. Wow. Well, we could host a very distinct podcast just on that topic, oh, yeah. I think, in respect to uh, <laughs> how those things work together. But Steve, when you think about bravery in the workplace, what words or phrases come to mind for you? To me, the first thing that comes to mind is self-awareness. You know, I think one of the problems that people have if they've bounced up against the edges of their own courage, their own bravery, is that when you're at that, you know, on the edges of your comfort zone, what you're likely to do is to fall back on old patterns. And so if you're not used to being assertive, uh, you might become out and out aggressive. You know, you might hold off and, you know, keep yourself from, from sharing about something you'd like to share until you're so far gone and you're so aggravated that it comes out in all the wrong ways. And then it's not courage. It's not bravery. It's just you know, vomiting on your people. Yeah, some people might describe it as the difference between being proactive, which is having high self-awareness on a topic or a situation or a person that generates that type of reaction versus someone who's reactive, who doesn't think about that at all, goes in and has something happen and just reacts in a very bad way that they later will regret. Absolutely. And those reactions are, you know, obviously made worse by suppression. I've been suppressing my reaction for so long that by the time I do, I've got no control over it anymore. Yeah, it's just the way that I see myself operating or I've allowed myself just to kind of operate in that way without proactively thinking about how I can handle and navigate that way better. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well said. Yeah. And I love the term self-awareness. You know, as a leadership coach, I tell people that the work that I do is to help people build their self-awareness so that they can know how others experience them better mm -hmm. and that they can manage themselves more effectively. To me, if I worked with somebody who could help me be more self-aware so I could manage myself more effectively, I would feel great. Yeah. And that brings up a really good point, Ed, which is unless you're thoroughly enlightened, you know, you've done all the inner work and you're as self-aware and as non-judgmental and, and, and peaceful inside as you could possibly be, then there are going to come times when you, you know, bounce up against your own limitations. And at those times, you need a coach, you need a mentor, you need a good friend who I call your lifeboats. You know, you're drowning in your own emotional baggage and you don't have any capacity at that particular moment. You don't have the inner strength to necessarily do the right thing or even see what the right thing is, well, that's when you've got to call up your coach or your mentor and, and kind of get the self-awareness that you're not able to get yourself. Right, right. Well, great. Well, I love self-awareness as a word that you think of to describe uh, bravery at the workplace. What else? What other words or phrases, Steve, might you think or utilize? Again, the word mindfulness comes to mind because what degree of inner balance do you have with your emotions? I think that we'd all be a lot braver if we didn't go into fight or flight, 
right? If we didn't go into that feeling that because this doesn't seem comfortable for me, because this seems scary to me, therefore it really is scary, right? So, so we've got to divorce ourselves from the emotional reaction in situations when we're, you know, like I've got to speak up to my boss. I've got to ask for a raise. I've got to, you know, bring up some aspect of this business that's not going well. I've got to ask to be treated with more respect. All of those things, you know, when we contemplate doing them and we feel fear, it's no different from the fear that the cavemen felt when the uh, saber-toothed tiger was coming at them. Fear is fear. Mm -hmm. We go into that lizard brain fight or flight mechanism and then we we can't find our words. You know, that feeling of like freezing up, like I I know what I want to say, but as soon as I walk in, it's just garbled. Mm Mm-hmm. The process by which we get over that, it's exercise. Right? We've got to exercise our ability to move from that fight or flight place to a place of deep inner peace, deep inner, inner quiet or centeredness. So I teach people about basic meditation tools, just sitting and getting quiet for 10 or 15 minutes every day and following your breath or being aware of what it feels like inside your body. Those kinds of exercises play out really well in stressful situations. Because when we do them over and over again, then we get into situations where our emotions start to get the better of us. There's a part of us that we've been cultivating that isn't that lizard brain. There's a part that's more calm and assessing. Well, a couple of things I just want to reflect on that you just talked about, Steve. One is this fight or flight mentality. And it's one of those things that, you know, it's kind of hard to describe until you know it, right? So when you have that fight or flight moment where it's happening, then you know it, right? Then you know that feeling of, oh my God, I'm having one of those moments. And you know, how can I navigate and manage through it a little bit more effectively? I do a workshop for an organization and we do talk about the amygdala, which is part of your brain and the whole fight or flight mentality that we all have. And we do a quick exercise where unexpectedly at a different part of the program, we tell everyone that we'd like each of them to sing a song that they sing or really love when they're working out. So think about it. And, you know, first of all, we have them think about the song and then we come back and say, okay, now what we'd like to do is have each of you sing it. And in that moment, that just second, (laughs) no one raises their hand because they're in flight mode, right? They absolutely are not. They're like, they're getting that like rush of heat in their face. They know this is scary. Right. Right. And that's the only reason we do that exercise. So that moment they can feel what the fight or flight mentality feels like. So I love that. Any other words or phrases that you think of when you think of bravery, Steve? I also think of something that in NLP we call reframing. So reframing is this capacity that we all have that we seldom use to be able to take any situation and redefine what it means. You know, we're used to having a default. Like for example, if I'm going to speak up to my boss or I'm going to speak up to a coworker, my frame around it is I may get rejected. You know, maybe I'm overstepping my bounds. Maybe, you know, even though I, my conscious mind says I have every right to say it, my subconscious mind says, you know, who do you think you are? So it's like a weaker frame, right? A strong but not necessarily a good frame might be moral outrage. Like if you feel morally outraged by something that somebody else does, chances are you will speak up because, you know, you're not wondering whether or not they're going to reject you. You've already rejected them. Now that's the extreme in the other direction. But finding the right frame, finding the right perspective, the way to look at this situation is something within our control. And I'll give you an example. When I do a a hypnosis show, you know, I do those uh, big stage shows. And I had an experience where I had like about a thousand people in the audience and it was in a large gymnasium. The people that were on stage were just at the beginning. We're just starting to put them into hypnosis. And it was in a gym. The people 
in the audience were in the bleachers. The people who were being hypnotized were on the gym floor, very large gym. And, and there was a janitor pushing a cart full of metal folding chairs across the floor. And right in the middle of my induction, the induction is where I'm quietly, soothingly telling people to go deeper and deeper into relaxation. The cart of metal folding chairs fell over and a hundred metal folding chairs hit the gym floor and echoed loud and scary. And what I, as the hypnotist could have done was to say, oh shit, you know, probably not allowed to say that here. I can't believe you just blew my show. You know, now everybody's going to wake up and they're not going to be able to get into hypnosis. But what I did instead was I immediately said, and as you hear the sound of the falling chairs, it takes you deeper and deeper into relaxation. <laughs> and lo and behold, and you know, that was one of my early lessons in this game. Yeah. It did because those people allowed themselves to believe that this falling of chairs, this loud noise had a different significance that their default might've said it was. And so in every situation in our lives, you know, if you were to sit down and ask your subconscious mind to come up with a better frame, a better interpretation of what it is that you're about to do, there's one that will give you the courage and the bravery you need. You know, I need to say this to this person because by doing so, I'm doing them a favor because nobody else has ever bothered to say it to them and it's going to be in their best interest. Yeah, I'd love to talk for just a couple of minutes on this concept of reframing, Steve, because I think for our listeners, leaving with an idea or a suggestion on something they could do differently than they're doing today can help them be braver, say what needs to be said, do what needs to be done in the workplace. So if I know I need to say something to somebody, and let's say it's at a meeting, and you know my moment arrives where I either say something or don't, are there any thoughts or perspectives you could share with people on how to reframe that moment to help me say what needs to be said? Yeah. So let's start with before the meeting starts. And let's say that you know that there's going to be a moment like that coming. There are three steps you need to take. The first step is you need to sort of associate with what the default feeling is. So, you know, let's say, you know, you're afraid of confronting somebody. There's a fear there. If you picture yourself confronting that person and you feel the fear before you walk into the meeting, now you can kind of work with it. So it's like, okay, I feel this feeling. Let me feel it. And then let me imagine it sort of rising up out of my body. Let me, let me just sort of use the power of visualization to picture it leaving. So it's number one, I'm associating to the pain or to the fear. Number two, I'm doing some kind of a visualization for myself that allows me to kind of let it go. And that could be very powerful all by itself. And then number three, I do the reframe. I now picture myself having the conversation with that person and having it go great. So in, in my mind, I've got this wonderful, not obligation, but opportunity. I've got a great opportunity to, to share with this coworker about something that I used to think was scary, but I let that go. And now I'm thinking, you know, what a great gift it is I have to give. So when I walk into that meeting and I'm sitting there and I'm anticipating bringing something up, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start practicing the frame of contribution. The frame of contribution is this is going to be a great contribution. This is going to be great. I'm really looking forward to seeing this thing that needs to be said. And I'm picturing a positive outcome. And how about, Steve, first of all, I love that model. So thank you for sharing that with us. And I think there are three things that we heard. One, associate with the default feeling, really, in some ways, feel the fear that you might be experiencing. Mm -hmm. You know, Visualize having the conversation with the person and reframing it as being more of a contribution versus something not going well, right? Picture the conversation going great. Mm -hmm. What about conversations that you don't anticipate? So you're at a meeting and somebody says something and you haven't had time to think about it in advance, do you pause or do you you know, do what, those three steps quicker? I mean, what can you do in those moments? 
there are two pieces to that. One is preparation, like just general communication strategy preparation. So one of the things I would always tell anybody who's in situations like these is learn like the rules of communication, right? What are the rules of engagement? What's the proper way to raise an objection, for example? There are right and wrong ways to do that. And a lot of people, because they never knew the right way, they keep on bumping up against negative consequences from their communication. So that's just a matter of learning, right? Take a course in assertiveness training, take a course in communication and learn what I language is and learn what feel found, felt found is and learn, you know, different tools in communication and language so that you're less likely to inflame the other person. And, and, you know, bearing in mind that nothing's perfect and it doesn't matter, even if you're the best communicator in the world, there are people who are going to react, but, you know, then you also learn that it's not you, it's them. Mm Mm-hmm. So then you're in that situation and now you're armed with a certain set of skills that you didn't have before. You're a little bit more confident, but it's still an awkward situation. Well, what I would do in that situation is I would definitely take a beat. I would take a few deep breaths. I would try to envision how that conversation could look in the po- in the best possible outcome. If I'm really triggered, if somebody said something and I'm feeling like that was totally off base, what they just did, I definitely would not say anything right then. We're almost always more likely to uh, default on the side of being jerks when we're not really. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I'd probably, you know, go to the bathroom and take a few deep breaths and I'd, I'd remove myself from a situation. I'd allow myself to sit and feel the feelings that were evoked by that situation without thinking about the situation. I just feel the feelings by themselves. And I would let that percolate. I'd let it kind of settle like dirt settling in a glass of water. Eventually, it's going to sift down and fall to the bottom of the glass and the water gets clearer again. You're going to get clearer again. And then you're going to be able to take a few more deep breaths and sort of reflect on the proper way to communicate. Then you're going to walk back into that situation one-on-one rather than in front of a lot of other people. One piece of bravery is also being judicious, having some discernment about when is the right time and when is the wrong time to, uh, to have a conversation. Recognizing that bravery isn't always about in the moment, that sometimes you have to pause or look for better ways to be brave versus feeling like it's a tennis game where the ball's been hit to you and now you have to hit it right back. And again, the I've got to hit it right back. That's reactivity, not proactivity. You got it. And the knee jerk reaction is always going to be to do that. It's like, as soon as somebody says something, you feel like you've got to say something back. And part of courage, part of bravery is being courageous within yourself to not react and, and use the military as a model, right? If you look at, you know, an elite military person, somebody who's in, you know, the Navy SEALs or the Army Rangers, they don't just go in and fight and fight and fight. They'll, you know, they'll strategize, plan their execution. They'll go in, they'll retreat if they need to. They're as courageous as anybody could possibly be, but that doesn't mean that they mindlessly go in and start like fighting with people without knowing what the consequences are going to be. Well, look, Steve, I think your three areas of thought for folks, self-awareness, mindfulness, and reframing is compelling. And thank you so much today for sharing that with us. Do you have any ways that folks can get in touch with you if they'd like to talk a little bit more about your business or the thoughts that you shared with us today? Certainly, yeah. If, if anybody is interested in knowing how to utilize some of these principles, these you know hypnosis, mindfulness, social and emotional intelligence kinds of principles to enhance yourselves in business, uh, peak performance, or in terms of even your own physical well-being, you know, it's interesting how these kinds of things can actually make you healthier. Actually, let me give you a couple of different places to go and visit. One is my website, which is stevetaubman.com. It's steve, T-A-U-B-M-A-N.com. Another is if you're looking at the, you know, as I said, the physical healing side of this kind of work, take a look at suggestionhealing.com, suggestionhealing.com. That'll show you how some of the work we're talking about, some of this courage and bravery that you get to begin to cultivate, you can start to turn your attention toward fighting your own diseases 
and that's powerful stuff. And then the third thing is uh, because my new book is now out, Bulletproof, I've got a website. It's just called bestofsteve.com. And if you go to Best of Steve and put in your email address, uh, I will send you a free digital download of the first chapter of the book. So we'll get a try before you buy. And if you like it, then there's a link at the bottom where you can uh, go to Amazon and buy the book. But it'll also give you instructions that will allow you to get another bonus on top of that. Fantastic. And when we post the podcast, Steve, we'll include those locations as well. Beautiful. Thanks. Terrific. Well, listen, thanks again for joining us today. It was fantastic speaking with you. Likewise. Thanks so much for the time, Ed, and uh, you got a great show here. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also welcome you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on CastBox, Overcast, Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google, Spotify, Pandora, we are everywhere. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.